1: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the world headquarters of Common Sense, as you probably know, right here on Talk Radio. It's been quite a week in the Independent Republic. We've reached Friday, and without fear or favour, despite the many slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, despite more hours of work than the European Union Directive supposedly allows, despite the French practically declaring war over their trumped-up fishing dispute, not only are we still here, but we are fighting fit and doing better than ever, thanks to all of you record figures yesterday uh, in the old uh, rajar department, so thank you very much indeed. But we are now, of course, on the eve of Top 26, the debacle that's going on in Glasgow. Rats, rubbish, um, and something else to begin with R. but I don't think I can say that. We await the latest demonstration of the Krusty Brigade, already insulate Britain, and the numpties are back out on the M25. Just to make matters worse, apparently Greta is arriving to tell us all how terrible our efforts are to save the planet. What a time to be alive! Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Tice, leader of the Reform UK Party, is here this morning. We'll get his take on the budget, on the news from Wales that COVID hospitalisations are going up despite tighter restrictions. And of course, he may want to talk about the French fishing route. We'll also be asking, what on earth is the point of prescribing e-cigarettes to smokers on the taxpayer dollar to help them quit? So now you'll be able to vape on the NHS, thank goodness we just gave him another six billion quid. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Coming up, we'll be checking in with Robert Clark from the Henry Jackson Society on why the government has cut more money from the Ministry of Defence. And as ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What do you see? What are you hearing? And what are you doing this Halloween weekend? It can be quite frightening for some people. We'll also have a controvers- uh, we we'll also have after a controversial week of scientific argument, our long-awaited interview with a company in the US of A, which does actually grow cement. Yep, afraid so. Uh, and we'll be having the Perrier Awards as well, an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting uh, just this week alone. You'll listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest grey radio station on the planet. We are, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. <laughs> well, it's good to start uh, the day with a smile, I've always said. Richard Tice, back in the studio. Welcome. Back in the studio, thank you very much. And we're
0: smiling in the studio, Mike, but not outside. The weather is grim, gloomy, And grey. It's all our fault as well for killing off the planet, isn't it? But I'm honoured to be here in your presence. I mean, the man who had 12 million video hits—extraordinary—for just one minute of your brilliance.
1: I mean, the thing is, I see what I do here at talk radio as a sort of a a general gesture to society because you know people get miserable. They talk about COVID. They talk about the planet dying, and they talk about all the misery that's going on. I've actually lightened everybody's life this week. You have. You've talked about growth. You've talked about activity.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure we're seeing much growth. In the medium-term forecast from uh, uh, the Chancellor's budget, then. That's well, I what, was wondering me,
1: what you thought of that, because I spent the best part of the last two days not really being able to figure it out at all. I, don't, I can't work out whether it's good or bad. I, I think, actually,
0: just focus on the big picture. There's a lot of noise, but the real big picture is simple, uh, that the government is spending the most, as a size relative to the size of the economy, mm. that any government has spent in the last 50 years. Yeah. The total tax take... That's your... Which
2: is our money. Which is our money. It's right. all
0: your listeners' money, your viewers' money. The total tax take is the highest for 70 years. Mm. And yet, despite all of that spending and all of those taxes, we're facing the lowest medium-term growth forecasts after the bounce back from COVID, which is sort of inevitable, the lowest forecasts for 60 years. Right. That's all you need to think about. Mm. And you will suddenly make the connection. High taxes means low growth, and that means lower wages right. in the medium term. That's the big picture, so when you and hear it's a these... terrible... And that's a socialist picture. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it's a very Gordon Brown-esque uh, budget, isn't Correct. it, as everybody's saying. But when you see... I mean, because you'll know more about this than I do. When you see sort of growth rates predicted to be 6%, but inflation could be as high as 4%, doesn't that mean that the growth of 6% isn't really 6%, it's actually 2%? Um,
0: well, <laughs> um, supposedly, the GDP figures are net of, uh, net of inflation. Right. We'll see. I have to say, I think that next year's 6%, is a very, very optimistic figure. Yes, yes, it's produced by the Office of Budget Responsibility. But I looked at that, and I took a really big intake of breath. Yeah. Because they're forecasting 6% this year mm. bounce back. And it'll, it'll probably be there or thereabouts. But 6% next year feels a real stretch. But then look at 23 and beyond, and where are we at? We're at about one and a half percent, one point three percent. Right. These are really gloomy numbers. Mm. These are
1: And everything's gonna start getting more expensive. And isn't and it?
0: the reason for that is because that's when all the tax rises come in. Yeah. And <clears throat> so you just know that higher taxes means lower growth. And look, if you want to vote socialism, fine. But that's not what we people voted for. That's not what for. people voted for. Like, you and know, the they, people who are gonna for get for a, squeezed
1: a, here are the people in the middle, aren't they?
0: Well, to be honest, everybody's gonna get squeezed because we haven't even yet seen the huge cost increases. Mm. I mean, we're just at the foothills of the cost mountain yeah. of the net zero plans that what I call net stupid plans yeah. that this Tory government's going to be uh, is talking about has, has imposed is imposing upon the nation. Uh, and is trying to get the rest of the world to sign up to. Mm. Of course, they won't in the next couple of weeks. We know they will I mean, be a great talking
1: They might have been agreed to sign up to. It doesn't mean they actually have agreed well, this to is anything, the point. is it?
0: this is the point. It's the enforceability or lack of enforceability yeah. of whatever is agreed. And mm. you, you can bet your bottom dollar they'll come out with some glorious, uh, you know, sort of summit statement saying that they've saved the world. Yeah. But you know that uh, the, the great emitters in the world, the likes of China... Mm. Um, they'll be sort of saying things, weasel words, um, with their fingers crossed behind their back. And they will literally be laughing at those few countries, like the UK, Mm. that is foolish enough to legally sign up to binding commitments to impoverish the nation uh, with these extreme measures that will make no difference Mm. to uh, global emissions. Well, this is the
1: thing. We keep hearing net zero. That's exactly where we want to get to. And I'm going, well, that's all very well, but... You haven't actually said why. You haven't actually said what that's going to do, if anything, to the state of the weather, to the state of the climate, to the state of the world. It's not going to make any difference.
0: And uh, the point is that, in uh, you know, a net zero, it's it's a target, yeah. but it's unachievable. The cost is, is absolutely astronomical. Mm. It hasn't been really quantified. And no one else is going to sign up to it. And meanwhile, you know, you're worrying about the environment in 50 years' time. What about the environment in the south of England where you've got water companies, our utilities, owned by overseas uh, investors and private equity groups and Chinese billionaires, spilling sewage all along Mm. the south coast? I
1: mean, what about the environment now, actually? Yes. Well, how about fixing that? And, of course, they've apparently taken the view that it's better to just pay the fines than it is to to tidy up their system so that it doesn't happen. That just shows how much
0: money they are making every year, uh, which they're hiding in their accounts and um, yeah it's i mean—it's utterly appalling and, yeah. and it will be going on and I'll be talking about that more and more okay. in the weeks to and come speaking
1: of net zero what about this idea of a referendum for net zero I quite like the idea of that
0: look we are very much uh, in favour of this idea because the truth is that the British people haven't had the opportunity to have a proper debate mm. about the pluses and minuses the benefits the mm. risks uh, and the costs And and I think we should because it affects everybody's Absolutely. daily lives literally whether it's whether it's uh, the heat in your homes, the cars you drive, uh, what you can and can't eat. Mm. Uh, the list is endless. Yeah. Uh, whether
1: John Renzel was, was here yesterday. He made a very good point. He said, and he's not particularly pro another referendum, but he said, if you can't make a case for why there should be net zero in order to make people vote for it in a referendum, then clearly there is no case. Well, I think and I'd like to hear the case.
0: Abs- well, look, the, the point is that the things that really affect everybody's daily lives in a big, strategic, long-term manner actually, I think it's perfectly reasonable. I mean, this is seismic, mm. and we should have a proper debate. And yeah. I think it's good. You get people more engaged if you have a referendum. You get a much higher turnout, because everybody knows that their own vote counts equally with everybody else's. Mm. And you've got a situation where all the main parties represented in Parliament, they're all outbidding each other on net zero. Right. So there's Nobody's no arguing against it, are they? And,
1: not one political organisation is who, arguing against it.
0: Who's currently represented... Yeah in westminster yeah. and obviously we want to change that yeah and i think it's really important so yes i am in favor of a referendum mm. on something which is so literally life-changing for everybody in the United exactly Kingdom, exactly
1: right. Because of course, it's all going to get underway. Greta Thunberg's <laughs> arriving today. Oh joy of joys, joy you know? of joys! I think she's going to be. I don't know if she's doing another ABBA reunion tour down at the. I, O2. I'm sure
0: you put a bid in for her to come into your studio. Uh, Funny right? enough, I
1: didn't actually no because uh, I don't actually want to talk to her. Thanks very much. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, it's like Britain are out on the on the M25 again in Essex. Um, we're going to have no doubt loads of demos up in uh, Scotland as COP26 gets underway. Apparently, it's chaos up there. Nobody knows what's going on. Even the Queen's uh, decided not to bother turning up. Which I think is very wise of her. Uh, Her Majesty always makes the right decision. Well, I mean, you
0: know, Glasgow is a wonderful city. It's got some fantastic heritage, but it appears that it's got one or two rats. Uh, one or two, so, yeah. Uh, darting around the street. Well, the SNP and, would rather you didn't talk about the rats. And it <laughs> <laughs> takes one to know one. <laughs> and um, uh, apparently there's rather a lot of litter, which, uh, you know, they seem yes. to be on strike and they they've haven't managed, picked they've up They've
1: managed to stop the rail strike, luckily, so people will be able to move around, but nobody can drive anywhere. They've actually cancelled um, NHS appointments and operations in order to keep the roads clear for the dignitaries. I mean, I mean how ridiculous is that?
0: That in itself is appalling. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I just think that. Uh, this is such a
1: massive topic yeah uh, that you know people actually should have a proper say in it yeah and also what is boris johnson the prime minister doing is he going up there on sunday is he going to be there on oh, week sure he, i'm is sure anybody, he'll be there i mean this is i mean is he running the country from up there and what's going on well of course he'll
0: say you can work from home you can work from glasgow uh, but unbelievable uh, is there, i mean is there going to be anybody in parliament i just i mean we're not told anything anymore are we Well, it's hard to know, and and, uh, when they are in
1: Parliament, they're all all masked up again. Oh, Uh, God. Well, let's talk about the hypocrisy of the mask wearing, right? Because they all did that, because Sajid Javid said last weekend, just before he appeared on my uh, breakfast show on Monday, that basically, um, well, we might have to show a better example. So they all scurried off and started wearing masks. In Wales, right, where they've been wearing masks and doing the effective Plan B situation for quite some time, it's suddenly gone off the scale and they've got more people than ever in hospital. And, I mean, huh? you, you, w- w- look, the reality is, and we've talked about this before,
0: and YouTube got a bit grumpy with us for talking about the effectiveness of masks. But if masks worked, yeah. then why is it that we had a second wave mm. when we were all wearing masks right. and that places like Sweden have had lower cases than and lower death rates yeah. than the United Kingdom, even though they didn't have all these obligations and restrictions yes. such as wearing masks all the time? So, you know, we know there are big question marks about that. And I just think, what's the point? And to wear masks in the House of Commons when you know you're on TV cameras Mm. and then immediately you're off the TV cameras to rip them off again.
1: I mean, it's just the the hypocrisy of it. Do they think we're stupid? Last week, they weren't wearing them. So you kind of get what, do you not, don't think we can remember what happened a week ago? A week ago, it wasn't any different.
0: Maybe COVID was on a half term last week as it well. It could be. Well, and you then know maybe how it came gets back- you
1: when you stand up in a restaurant, but it doesn't get you if you sit down. You oh, know? that's right, yes. Because, you know, we, we've got great science that we can follow. I'm mean, not quite sure what science Mark Drakeford's following. I think he's been listening to somebody who's dressed up as Dracula in a Halloween costume. So this is an
0: interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. That he's now saying that, uh, that children, uh, even if they've been vaccinated... Yeah. Uh, why on earth anybody would want to vaccinate uh, the child yeah. when the JCVI didn't support recommending yeah. it. Uh who knows. But anyway, even if children have been vaccinated, uh Drakeford is saying uh that you would have to you couldn't go to school if anybody in your household may be showing symptoms. Mm. So you're sort of saying, hang on you convinced children to get vaccinated yes. in order to guarantee that their education and their school time that was would always, not be disrupted. That was, reason, that was one of the big selling yeah, points right. from the chief medical officers across the four nations yeah. was in order to, uh, to 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 protect children's uh, school time and education. Mm. And now all of a sudden, Drakeford, the leader in Wales, is saying, no, actually, that doesn't count. We conned you, we deceived you. Mm. Uh, you've been vaccinated on, on one premise and now we're going to reverse that. I and mean, of
1: course, their answer on all of this is, oh, well, because the situation's changed. And you go, well, it hasn't really. It hasn't actually changed, has no, it? Nothing's changed
0: at all. No. COVID is a part of life. Mm. I think the vast majority of sensible people around the country have, have you know, realised that and says we've got to learn yeah. to live with it, and that's
1: what we are mm. doing. And our cases are going down at the moment, but no doubt in a couple of months, yeah, a couple uh, of weeks, uh, they'll go back up again.
0: They're going down because we're not testing quite as many school children, healthy school children unnecessarily. I mean, it, 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 I come back to this point. Why are we still testing mm. a million people, healthy people, a day Yeah. Uh, when... I mean, I think we're testing more than almost the rest of Europe combined. I think that's right. I mean, the numbers are off the dial, mm. absolutely off the dial. It must be costing 30, 40, 50 million pounds a day, yeah. this testing regime. So it's not surprising. If we're testing the most, hey, presto, we've got the most cases mm. of almost anybody in the world or oh, we've got the most positive tests the, to, sorry the to, most you know. the most positive tests mm. uh, whether or not you uh, you believe the accuracy of them is obviously open to debate right but the, all, all this is doing is delaying people's uh, confidence and recovery and it's just wasting more taxpayers cash yeah. Uh, which of course is why the taxes. One of the reasons why taxes well, had to go up I said so this, much in recent I weeks. I said this
1: to Julia Hartley Brewer during the week. You know, if we had all been told exactly how much the taxes were going to go up in order to pay for all the people that were sent home and sent on furlough, didn't do any work for eighteen months, you think everyone would have gone, "Oh, great idea, yeah, we'll pay for that." I think of, they would have said, "No, of course not." And uh, this is this is the reality
0: that the chickens are coming home to roost, mm. and I think that. Uh, people feel really uncomfortable. We'll see over the uh, over the coming weeks uh, where polls go, election results, and things. Mm. But I, I think you know people don't like unnecessarily paying taxes. People don't mind paying a fair amount of tax for good quality public services. Yeah. But when you see money being poured in uh, to unreformed public services that you know are inefficient, that you know are wasteful, uh, then actually I think people say no. We need we need some change. Mm. And Absolutely. that's, you know, that's what we keep
1: banging the drum for. Yeah. Well, let's talk some more about that. Richard Tice is here, leader of the Reform UK Party, of course. We want your calls today as well. 0344 499 1000. We're still banging that drum, as we have been for the last couple of days about the referendum uh, possibilities on net zero. And also, uh, let's talk a little bit about e-cigarettes being given away on the NHS for people who want to give up smoking. What? <laughs> This is Talk Radio across the UK, online on DAB Plus and on the Talk Radio app.
0: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham.
1: on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here at the home of Common Sense on Talk Radio. Of course, Richard Tice is here. What's going on with the French, Richard? I mean, uh, what, are well, they, what are they doing? Well, there's, I mean, the, the real thing is
0: that obviously there's a presidential election yes. next year. And Macron's in real trouble, mm. and so he knows that one way to carry a favour is to get a little bit grumpy uh, with uh, with Le Russ Beef. Right, and so he's, there's a lot
1: of Normandy fishing constituencies, aren't there? There are, right, yes, to win
0: absolutely, yeah. and uh, that's very important. And uh, one of the uh, one of the presidential candidates, uh, Xavier Bertrand, is from uh, from that region. Mm. So you know, Macron's really got his work cut out. So he's clearly instructed uh, his his team, his his cabinet. Uh, to, to make as much noise uh, and to be as aggressive towards uh, towards the UK. And obviously, fishing mm. is, is one opportunity to do that, over and above electricity. So fresh from their threats to cut off the electricity to the Channel Islands, uh, which, is, of course, is utterly outrageous, uh, they're now trying to find the slightest bit of mm. um, administrative nonsense with some paperwork in order to impound and potentially fine a law-abiding... British fishing yeah. fishing vessel,
1: but isn't it extraordinary that they've literally seized it without any seeming kind of comeback from the UK government, uh, who have more or less just said, "I mean, yes, uh, well, you know, Liz Truss has now demanded to see the French ambassador." Yes, I'd but quite 24 like to hours be,
0: late. I'd quite yes, a bit late, but I would quite like to be a fly on the wall mm. at the meeting between uh, the foreign secretary and uh, and the French ambassador here yeah. uh, to see genuinely what is said. Mm. I think that's quite important because you know it is outrageous. Yeah. Uh, these are supposed to be our our friends and allies. And, uh, you know, they are behaving in a very aggressive way. Yeah, and and you've mean, got their own Europe minister who said that the way to deal with the British is to show force. Yeah. I and mean, that's,
1: you know... And <laughs> apparently the skipper of this boat was quizzed for five hours in the police station about what, what on earth are you doing fishing in our waters when he's got the perfect right to do it. I mean, look, it, it,
0: if the French want to play silly games, then we can play games as well. And actually, in fairness to him, uh, George Eustace has been on the airwaves this morning... And he's saying, look, you know, two can play at that. The best way for us actually to really do that is to say, that's fine. If you want to play silly silly games, then we'll stop any more payments to the European Union that we are still paying under what was called the the divorce payments under the, uh, the withdrawal agreement, we'll just stop, we'll just pause those payments yeah. until all this nonsense is out. And what I said
1: yesterday is just pull all the, the, the licences that they've already given them. We've so given yeah. them hundreds of licences. This argument is about 30-odd licences, right?
0: Correct, and uh, it, it transpires we've given around 750 yeah. licences to French fishing boats yeah. uh, around our waters. So this really is, um, it's a manufactured uh, row right. by the French uh, in order to boost the, uh, the the electoral chances that Macron uh, needs and wants uh, for the and presidential election, but if they try to do what they did last
1: time, which was to blockade, I think the ports in uh, in the Channel Islands, in in Jersey and Guernsey, you know, I mean, it can turn a bit nasty because you know, our fishermen are not going to put up with it, and and what you don't want is it for it to escalate into something.
0: Correct, and uh, that's absolutely right, and and you know, tempers tempers flare because mm. these are people's livelihoods, yeah. and they're seeing very valuable catches being impounded, being confiscated, not able to earn a living, and quite rightly, people saying, I'm not going to put up with that. Yeah. And it, it is absolutely outrageous. And I think that, uh, you know, Liz Truss has got to be very, very firm mm. with the ambassador and say, we're not going to put up with this. And unless she put, you know, the ambassador and, and France puts a stop to it, then, yeah, we should retaliate, uh, literally, next week, very strongly. And as you say, you just say, Look, we're not going to let any fishing, any French fishing boats fish in our waters. Right. And you know, two can play at that game. Well, if you want Macron's to ratchet it up, we'll be, ratchet
1: it up. Is Macron going to be hopping over on his private jet to uh, Glasgow for COP twenty six? I presume he is.
0: I'm sure he is. You know, uh, and um, but you know, w- maybe they, they take, need maybe to know. take
1: him hostage. <laughs> just put, put him in Berlin for a couple of nights. <laughs> see how he
0: likes that's, that. That's <laughs> that's one way of ratcheting it up for sure. Uh, they need to know we're not going to tolerate this nonsense. Yeah, it They're is supposed absolutely to be. Ridiculous. You know, it is just ridiculous. And, I mean, there will always be trade discussions. And, yes, you know, we've still got a lot to sort out with Northern Ireland and the protocol, um, but the French are playing silly games, and they need to be very careful, as you say, because
1: otherwise it can get quite nasty really very quickly. Yeah. Final question for you. E-cigarettes on prescription. We've just given uh, the NHS £6 This wasn't what we were expecting them to do with it. It
0: certainly wasn't what I was expecting (laughs) to do with it. I was hoping that they'd use it to get the waiting list down. Well, exactly. But it seems like they're going to... um, uh, use it for e cigarettes, vapors. I mean, the whole thing's, I just find it extraordinary. I mean, you know, I'm not a smoker. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, we want more people to give up smoking uh, because everybody knows that it's bad for your health. But, you know, you should, don't want to give them a vape, do you? Well, why should why should non smokers pay to incentivize mm. and to motivate people who smoke uh, in order to reduce their smoking habits? Yeah. I mean, if, if they want to give up smoking, give up smoking because but the, it's individual responsibility you know it's better for your health and it'll save you cash yeah exactly but you shouldn't have to be incentivized with someone else's money in order to do so right you
1: can imagine all the vape shops filling up with all these bozos waiting for them to get their free vaping device whatever it I is. mean it's
0: obviously you know frankly people should be out buying shares in the, in the e-cigarette businesses <laughs> because clearly they're going to do very nicely thank you i mean it's just you know this this is not what it's Britain not should be thinking, isn't this it? is a this is a nanny state yeah it's like a sort of communist state that tells you what you can and can't do. And, and that's that's not who we are. No. You know, we are a, a, a we are a democracy where actually freedom of choice
1: is, is absolutely one of the foundations mm. of our society. Right. Well, it used to be used to be. Yeah. I mean, I remember those days. It was great. We used to like it then. Uh, Richard, thank you very much indeed. Richard Tice, uh, of course, uh, Talk Radio favourite. He'll be here uh, throughout the course uh, of the next few weeks. And, of course, we'll have plenty to hear from him uh, about uh, over the course of uh, the weekend. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. So uh, here we are uh, at the beginning of the weekend, a big weekend, of course, for all sorts of reasons. Greta Thunberg is apparently going to show up in London. Uh, No doubt she'll be telling everybody that we're not doing enough to save the planet. Uh, The people who are going up to Glasgow uh, will be spending an awful lot of time and an awful lot of money getting there. Uh, Here's the words that the Pope actually said. Uh, He wants to uh, have climate and world leaders give concrete hopes of future generations. There we are. You heard it here first. Now, uh, let's talk first of all, though, to Rob Clark, Defence Policy Associate at the Henry Jackson Society. We've spoken a lot about the budget this week. Uh, we've talked about the money being given to the NHS. Uh, we talked about the business rates coming down. we talked about the booze taxes going down. Uh, let's find out what's happened with the Ministry of Defence's allotment of money. Rob, a very good morning to
3: you. Morning, Mike. How are
1: you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, We were led to believe that all government departments were going to get a bit more money uh, in this budget. Is that not the case for the Department of Defence?
3: No. In fact, actually, the Ministry of Defence is the, the only department that won't see not only uh, a rise above inflation uh, for its day-to-day uh, revenue spending, but actually sees a cut. Um, It's looking at about 1.4 to 1.5 percent. Uh, decrease. Uh, that's in uh, the average annual real term growth right. uh, between now and 2025. And like it's the only department experiencing this. Yes. And what
1: uh, exactly is left to cut in the MOD? Because uh, they've suffered quite a few rounds of cuts over
3: the course of the last several years, Rob. So so what's left for them to cut? Uh, it's so frustrating. I mean, first of all, defence is uh, really seen as, uh, you know, it's really not uh, seen as um, politically uh, important enough to uh, maintain uh, current spending. So Defence is often one of the first departments to receive cuts. Now, this goes in wake of uh, last year, obviously, we had the uh, £16 uh, billion pounds, uh, uplift uh, last year in, in Defence, but that was mostly to tank the black hole mm. in uh, in the debt in the department. So in terms of what's left to cut, really, we're looking at uh, pensions um, and uh, potentially salaries as well. We've got around 10,000 troops Um, are going to be reduced over the next two or three years as well, which is a separate issue altogether, obviously. Um, So there will be savings uh, to be made there. But in terms of the pensions, uh, we've seen several times uh, the MOD have been quite quick to um, go back on pension promises, Um, but also things like uh, operational uh, deployment bonuses. um, And when soldiers deploy abroad, obviously they get paid extra uh, money to compensate for that. Um, So these are all likely things to be hit as well. Uh, It's an incredibly frustrating uh, perspective to see for uh, service personnel and uh, and their families, I'm afraid. Yes,
1: because last time you and I spoke about this, Rob, we were talking about a kind of a new world order of, of, of military um, sort of might, if you like, so that there was going to be fewer actual boots on the ground type soldiers and more um, kind of, you know, people sitting behind desks and, and, and cyber warfare and that kind of thing. Is this the beginning of that
3: process? Um, I mean, the beginning of that process ha- happened last year with the the increase in, uh, for example, space, uh, AI and autonomy. Mm. This is just another extension of that, that the reduction in uh, service personnel uh, is just a natural uh, extension of that uh, process. But one of the, there's no, um, you know, no defence experts are coming out and saying this is a good move, right? Mm. We all know, like we've spoken before, you need cyber, you need space, you know, you need these uh, these uh, capabilities to fight in the so-called green zone against uh, particularly Russia and increasingly China, but you know, um, you know, quantity has a quality of its own. Mm. Mike and mass uh, still is important. We see that in in conflicts all over the world. And when we put this in a historical context, when we look back at the uh, the late 1970s, the defence budget was around four to 4.1% of GDP. Now it's um, getting decreasingly uh, lower to uh, the two percent benchmark for for NATO. Um, so around about half in real term, The problem with that is the the threat landscape. Um, hasn't shifted at all. In fact, it's magnified. Whilst the threat in the 70s was obviously Cold War and the Soviet Union, at the moment, uh, the threat narrative, and the MOD like to say, you know, um, you know, the threat drives um, a sort of strategy. Well, the threat comes primarily from Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, and the return of great power competition, as we've spoken about before. Mm. But on top of that, we've got the increasing threats from uh, terrorism, international terrorism, international Islamic terrorism has obviously returned to, Return to Britain now with uh, with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria are still dangerous. Um, so it's an incredibly chaotic uh, uh, time in the international environment. To then reduce defence spending, um, where it's going to hit hardest, which is personnel. And I'm sorry to say, it might, but we see it time and again. Um, for- forces personnel vote with their feet when conditions become unpalatable; they simply leave and uh, you know transfer their skill set to the uh, to the civilian. Yeah. Uh, market. So this will this will result undoubtedly in people leaving the armed forces.
1: Yeah. And presumably that makes it much tougher to also recruit new people, doesn't
3: it? Oh, massively. You know, um, the, youth, the youth of today, if I can say that, the, the younger generations, you know, they're incredibly social media savvy. They're incredibly, uh, you know, aware of the news and events. You know, they'll see this and they'll see the headlines and they'll see what's happening in, in wider defence discussions, particularly around pay and conditions uh, and terms and such. And, uh, you know, they'll compare that to, like I say, what what people can be offered um, outside of the forces. And uh, they're really sort of, uh, you know, shooting themselves in the foot in a way Mm -hmm. uh, with with regards to uh, recruiting. And recruiting is a completely separate issue that's, uh, for separate reasons, going to become uh, increasingly difficult over the next few years with the reduction in in service personnel, the 10,000 being cut. Those people are still going to want to join the military. Um, However, the waiting times are going to shoot up, you know, I think roughly it's around 12 to 18 months. Um, for somebody applying to join the army, uh, to then actually becoming, uh, you know, you know, starting their phase one training around twelve to eighteen months, people aren't going to wait that long, and they don't wait that long, and it's only going to get worse.
1: No, quite. Um, Joe Biden obviously here for the uh, for the weekend. I'm not quite sure how long he stays. He's in Vatican City at the moment, talking to the Pope. Um, is he likely to get involved in any kind of NATO-related
3: business while he's in Europe? Um, I don't think so. To be fair, I mean, President Biden and the American administration have made it quite clear. Uh, this year, particularly obviously with the, with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, um, how really uh, Europe's uh, defence uh, and NATO's defence really is, uh, is considered at uh, you know, a European uh, sort of premium now with, uh, with regards to the North Atlantic uh, area. So I think President Biden's emphasis for you know, defence and security is, uh, you know, is completely now uh, on, on China, uh, on the Indo-Pacific. Obviously, we've had the mixed signals and the mixed messaging regarding American um, commitments to Taiwan. Uh, so things like that are going to take up the uh, president President Biden's agenda. I think he'll be quite happy uh, with uh, you know with European um, uh, defense commitments continuing in Europe. So, for example, in Poland and the the Baltics, um, you know they're getting reinforced and they're being increasingly uh, stable. Um, but I don't think there'll be much to discuss uh, from a NATO perspective from President Biden. like i say his his personal ideological uh, emphasis uh, in that sense and that of his team. Uh, are firmly rooted in the Indo-Pacific.
1: Yes. And yeah. since the <laughs> Afghanistan debacle, I think we can call it that uh, without fear or favour, um, what's happening in that region? Because we spoke quite a bit, Robert, about what was going on there and how China had kind of moved in, uh, taken over Bagram Air Base. We're probably going to somehow modernise it all, make it into, a, um, a you know, quite a big hub for travel. What's actually happening?
3: Because it's gone a bit quiet, is not it? It has. Well, this this is the problem. We, we knew that, uh, you know, events would, um, you know... Uh, other events elsewhere would take the media interest in that sense, and it's understandable. But the, the, the bigger picture with uh, Afghanistan now is it's going to be increasingly difficult for uh, Britain and America to maintain any form of um, credible uh, and time-sensitive intelligence for counter-terrorism in the country. You know, let's not beat around the bush. This needs to be reinforced. Afghanistan is now uh, wholly in the control of the Pakistani ISI, who fund the Taliban, and the Taliban government themselves, most of whom have been on UN uh, terror watch lists for the last two decades. So this is a country that now exports uh, international terrorism. It's a country that supports it itself internally. Um, we have still got the large displacement of refugees, the largest humanitarian crisis um, potentially facing the world for the last decade. Um, so the the situation in Afghanistan is is actually just got worse. Regarding China, it's quite interesting to note with uh, obviously the um, the withdrawal from <clears throat> the withdrawal from Afghanistan from Britain and America. Um, it was only a matter of time until China. Uh, China uh, moved in. They've now got a, a, a military base set up in neighbouring Tajikistan. Um, now that's really concerning when we consider if we can't have uh, eyes and ears in Afghanistan uh, like we used to. Um, in in neighbouring countries is the next best thing. And Tajikistan has always been a very close ally of Britain and America in the global war on terror. So for China to make considerable inroads, including having a military base now in Tajikistan, this is going to further complicate, uh, you know, the efforts to. Uh, maintain an, a credible intelligence cycle, an incredible uh, intelligence picture in Afghanistan. Mm. So it's an, inc- it's an incredibly difficult situation.
1: It really is. But again, difficult to know, uh, really, Rob, without being there, I suppose, in terms of our own military presence, um,
3: how bad it's getting until it gets bad, if you know what I mean. Not sure. I mean, we can only go off, for example, things like, I mean, for example, the British Embassy is still uh, located in the Middle East. Um, we still maintain, uh, you know, relations... Um, more, more, not so much relations, but the engagement with with officials in uh, in uh, in Afghanistan, uh, as unpalatable as that may be, and that's really to coordinate with the humanitarian crisis. But bearing in mind the Taliban themselves are quite uh, quick to stamp out any sort of media interest in, you know, the the shutdown, the wholesale shutdown of women's rights and of rights of ethnic minorities. It's incredibly hard to gain any credible. Um, picture from uh, anything the Taliban say. And like I say, now that, uh, you know, regional allies and partners are coming increasingly under the sphere of China, that's just going to get worse.
1: Yeah, I think that is one of the things that,
3: that, that does worry people. Let me
1: ask you finally, Rob, about the situation in Northern Ireland because Dennis Hutchings is a, a story that we've been following here uh, over the course of the last few weeks. He died, um, sadly, at the beginning, I think, of last week while he was in the beginning stages of a, a trial uh, for a shooting incident that took place in, in 1974. We've spoken to quite a few uh, people, including Johnny Mercer, uh, the former veterans minister, and there is a campaign group trying to get rid of all of the um, uh, the cases against former soldiers in uh, in Northern Ireland during that period um, why is the government not stopping these prosecutions
3: oh it's absolutely it's absolutely horrendous and my heart goes out to um, Dennis Hutchings family I think Johnny Mercer the work he's been doing recently is absolutely fantastic in terms of the government's response um, I mean it's it's it's, it's been it, I mean it's a situation no change and this is exactly why Johnny Mercer felt he had no no choice um, after several credible years uh, in the office of veterans uh, affairs felt no choice but to leave out of protest um the government are increasingly um dragging their heels uh, and actually um stalling uh, and making incredibly difficult the uh, ability um to, to to stop these uh to stop these legacy claims um the real reason is obviously to preserve uh, the peace in northern ireland you know they Uh, have repeatedly given out since the Blair uh, since the Blair government repeatedly given out letters of, um, uh, you know, letters of apology and letters of uh, reconciliation uh, for the uh, Sinn Fein IRA terrorists. And yet at the same time, um, they hound uh, Northern Ireland veterans, uh, many of whom in their 80s and 90s now. Um, And the the, the story of Dennis Hutchings is absolutely, absolutely appalling. Mm. You know, this is a man, innocent until proven guilty, previously acquitted, no fresh evidence. Um, He wasn't forced. To go to belfast he did so to clear his own name he had around six months uh to live um with i think uh, kidney kidney failure and kidney kidney problems yeah um, and yet he of his own accord and his own um his own goodwill went to belfast to clear his name um and he he caught covid in a hospital in ireland and, and died three days later i yeah. think it's absolutely appalling and the worst thing on this if i can just say is the fact that the government uh, the ministry of defense have actually refused um, his uh, his service, his funeral service, which is on Armistice Day, um, any uh, any official army representatives to do the uh, to do the guard of honour and the pallbearers. I think yeah. it's absolutely shocking and shameful. I really do.
1: Yeah, that really is the sort of final betrayal, isn't it? But I mean, I was confused when I heard this story, and then discovered that there were many more cases in the pipeline because we'd been told many times by the government that this was all going to come to an end, and all of these prosecutions were not going to go forward.
3: No, you're completely right, it's absolutely shameful. Uh, there's several that are still on hold uh, waiting for um, you know the so-called fresh evidence or fresh um, a fresh inquiry to go through. Mm. but really, the CPS needs to uh, there needs to be an, an independent investigation now into the CPS themselves and their their actions into this. Yeah. Um, it's just I mean I, it's difficult to get one's head round the the, the the lack of government empathy. Um, again, like I say when there's no fresh evidence, you know these men have been previously acquitted. Um, you know, they're in their eighties, they've got pre existing health conditions, um, and it's just absolutely shameful. It's shameful that the MOD aren't supporting these men. It's even worse that they're actively condoning uh the continued hounding uh of, of these people. It's 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 an absolute travesty. It really is. And just going back to um the
1: the, the budget cuts that we spoke of um earlier on. Rob, in terms of um, what the mod uh, will do in the future i mean is there anything that anybody can do to help in terms of trying to main, maintain the, the levels of, of pay to maintain uh, the, the levels of budget so that the individual soldiers in the uh, in the serving are not going to be affected
3: um, i mean to be honest i don't think there is to be fair i mean this is obviously this budget goes up to 2024 2025 plans and this is a 1.4 uh, percent decrease in uh, you know the day-to-day revenue for the department over that period. So this isn't just um, a 12-month uh, estimate that that may uh, that may get reversed or, or or may change. You know this is a this is a three-to-four-year um, you know fixed plan in place for the day-to-day uh, running the revenue, uh, which is completely separate to the the capital budget, and that includes uh, primarily um, uh, the pay and pensions. And it's increasingly frustrating when we see uh, senior military personnel, uh, particularly in the general staff. Uh, bleat on social media about how you know people are at the heart of defence. Well, I'm sorry, that clearly isn't the case, and this has just proven that. Uh, and you know, as a as a proud conservative uh, voting uh, citizen, I find it really disappointing that the government uh, still have this line where you know on one hand they say, look, here's 16 billion pounds extra for defence for the capital budget, which goes into you know the big ticket items and trying to swallow the black hole of uh, of, of the the internal debt, and at the same time really putting uh, the people in defence. Uh, which are the most important asset, it's not tanks, it's not helicopters, it is the people, Um, and and increasingly putting them on the short end. um, Mm. I don't think there's anything really to be done by this. And like I say, um, you know, the Army, the Navy, and the Royal Air Force will simply, you know, they'll vote with their feet and they'll walk. Yeah, I'm afraid that's going to be the, way, the end result,
1: which is never going to be a good one uh, for those of us who know how important the armed forces are in this country. Rob, thanks very much indeed. Rob Clark, Defence Policy Associate uh, at the Henry Jackson Society. Don't forget, here at Talk Radio, we are with uh, the Veterans Railcar. Just a single day service in the armed forces. Qualifies you for the Veterans Railcard. Visit railcard.co.uk to apply. Now, we're going to take some calls coming up now, so uh, it's a good time to make them if you want to get on the show. Uh, we're going to talk about e-cigarettes. We're going to be talking about the ludicrous nature of why the NHS should be giving out prescriptions for people who can already afford to buy their own cigarettes, right? But you're going to give them a free vaping device. You're going to give them a prescription so that we, the taxpayer, will be somehow subsidising somebody's habits. Now, I don't really care if people smoke. I don't care uh, if they vape. I used to smoke a lot of cigarettes and it used to cost me an awful lot of money. But I certainly would not have been asking or seeking any kind of taxpayers funding in order to give up. I did give up and giving up is the money saved in itself so that's the incentive already aside from the healthy one 0344 499 1000 also let's talk about net zero because Greta Thunberg is coming into town uh, very shortly she's going to be telling us all how terribly badly we're doing uh, in terms of saving the planet because of course the planet is burning don't you know there's a climate emergency going on Uh, I'm going to talk about net zero because there's a movement starting to build and I think we're going to be part of it to get some kind of referendum done on net zero after all Nobody really knows what net zero is going to do. Nobody really knows why net zero is important. Nobody really knows what on earth net zero will cost and that is part of the problem.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot.
3: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
1: Now, I'm very excited about this next guest because Katie Bailey got in touch with me the other day after our famous interview with Insulate Britain, uh, in which some people thought I was having some kind of a uh, episode, I think is probably the best way to describe it, when I said that you could actually grow concrete. Of course, I was told by the Insulate Britain carpenter that, in fact, you couldn't grow concrete. But uh, I beg to differ. And Katie Bailey, who's the brand communications manager at Biomason, an American company, uh, tweeted me, which I didn't see because there were so many tweets going on, because 12 million people practically have watched this thing now. And it turns out that Biomason, as a company, does. So let's find out what Katie can tell us. Katie, a very good morning to you.
4: Good morning Thank Great you to be here.
1: thank you so much for getting in touch I, I, I've only literally just now seen your tweet which was above my uh, original tweet uh, the talk radio's original tweet about uh, the conversation with Cameron where you basically just put a hem <laughs> <laughs> so do tell it do tell us about Biomason. whereabouts are you first of all
4: well, I'm calling in from Raleigh, North Carolina, okay. but we are based in Durham, North Carolina. So, um, yeah. I used, US to, I
1: used to spend um, time in Curie Beach in North Carolina, believe it or not. There you I used go. To, yeah, not far Not too far from there. Lovely part of the world. Beautiful area. Uh, so tell us about Biomason. What does Biomason do?
4: So Biomason is a biotechnology company and we grow cement the same way nature
1: does. Right. And how does that work?
4: That's a great question. <laughs> it is a pretty scientific process, mm. but basically we were inspired by how coral forms in nature. Yeah. So coral is this very hard structure, as you know, and it uses carbon as a building block to create its strong structure. And we basically learned from that formula um, to emulate that blueprint to create what we call bio-cement by employing natural microorganisms to grow um, biocement in ambient temperatures mm.
1: and so when you grow it how does it grow exactly
4: so that is a lot of uh, science that i would love to understand a little bit more but um so basically we use a naturally occurring microorganism and we've put them into this um kind of perfect temperatures that it needs to grow and it creates carbon and calcium which is what is the basis of traditional cement right and so it it basically you know we feed these natural microorganisms and they grow into this strong structure that is very much like traditional cement right. and our goal is for that to replace cement right
1: so. because the reason why you do this right is because the the process of making cement is an incredibly dangerous one for the climate right and for the environment because its emissions are very very high
4: exactly so cement traditional cement production accounts for eight percent of global carbon emissions and so to put that in perspective that's four times more than the aviation industry
1: that's amazing Yeah. (laughs) Mm. So if you were somebody who was a sort of uh, environmental campaigner like young Cameron, who was the carpenter uh, from Insulate Britain, these are the people who think we should be insulating everybody's home uh, in order to stop uh, emissions from killing the planet. Right. You would think he would be in favour of something that you're doing, making concrete and, and cement grow.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we are one part of a puzzle that needs to be solved from all kinds of places. So I, I, you know, one of the reasons we reached out is obviously people need to know about our technology. Right. So.
1: And so is your technology currently, would you say, developing or is it developed? Are you using it in, in actually building, um, you know, structures?
4: Right. So we do have um, our first commercial product, which is called BioLith. Mm. It's a precast tile, and it is already in use in projects throughout the U.S. and Europe. Right. Um, Earlier this year, we signed an agreement for H&M to use it in their stores um, starting next year. So pretty soon you'll be walking over um, our biocement products while you're shopping. So I can tell
1: Cameron, uh, if he wants to go to an H&M shop, he can walk across some of your concrete and cement that you've grown. Yes, once
4: Tremendous. they are installed, but yes.
1: <laughs> well, that's great, though. And how long does it take to grow? Because one of the things that, uh, that, that people say about trees and timber is that it's a recyclable, reusable, regenerational kind of uh, material. But, but, you know, to grow a tree takes quite a long time. And then you cut it down and that's not necessarily particularly green, but, you know, I'm ex- I'm happy to accept that, it's, that it does regenerate. But if you're growing concrete, I mean, how long does it take to grow?
4: So with our current technology and we're obviously iterating on it all the time, um, we can grow structural cement in under 72 hours. That's quick. It is. And it is i mean Me- i mean
1: does it just keep growing i'm trying to sort of envisage a big room full of uh, cement and <laughs> or concrete just kind of growing and then making its own bigger room
4: not quite like that so right now <laughs> the way that we're working with it is it grows within into the specific structure so that right. first commercial product but the goal for us is for bio cement to eliminate 25% of carbon emissions from the co- global concrete industry by right. 2030 and so for that to work we actually need to shut off the kilns at cement factories and right. replace them with a bioreactor right. that creates bio cement and you know cement and concrete companies will then be able to create their products with that's it. great
1: and so you, you kind of use it it seems to me a bit like insulation right so you'd have a structure that you could put the uh, the concrete into and then let it grow into that shape i guess
4: not exactly right like that. So the, the actual growing process is happening at the beginning of things. Right. So, you know, our first commercial product is is a tile and we create that. It grows into its hard structure in that 72 hour time period. Right. But Biomason's technology, you know, we're seeing a lot of different potentials for it, obviously, and continuing to iterate and, and scale that up. Um, so it wouldn't necessarily be growing in your house, right? It's a more controlled substance than that. Yes. Um, what you would, what normal consumers would be seeing it as is, you know, those concrete trucks that drive around and pour foundations. That would just be powered by biomason bio
1: Right. So you could put the foundations in, having grown them somewhere else. Exactly. Brilliant! I think it's a fantastic innovation. This I'm very happy uh, for you to have come on, Katie. Um, so, how can people find out more about BioMason? Have you got a website you can tell us about?
4: Yeah, of course. So we, you can reach out to us at our website biomason.com, or we're, you know, obviously on Twitter and other social media platforms at Biomason. Yes,
1: yeah, so I've just started and, following you there. Oh, good. <laughs> So I should be I should be I should be uh, pushing your products onto as many people as I can possibly uh, talk to over the course of the next several days and weeks, because it really has it really has created quite an interesting conversation. People have become sort of obsessed with concrete. I see even the Pope uh, mentioned concrete today in when he said he was hoping for some concrete hope coming to the climate (laughs) change conference in Glasgow.
4: It's true. I think, you know, it's. It's something that is becoming a lot more popular, and we're really thankful for that because we see it as a huge issue. Yeah, you know, concrete is the second most consumed substance in the world after water. Wow. So it's literally everywhere. Mm. Even if you never really thought about it before, it's you're you're walking on it, you're driving on it, it's the foundation for your homes. It's everywhere. So to solve the emission and climate problem with concrete you have to start with cement
1: yes it's brilliant well listen Katie I can't thank you enough thank you so much and have a, I know it's very early over there so thank you for getting up so early to talk to us and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch again because no doubt uh, there will be some lefties who are going to complain that this is not possibly true and it's all a bit of a wind up well it isn't so there you have it the truth not only that concrete does grow but the company that actually grows it and guess what they're doing some projects for people in Europe including H&M so concrete is the second biggest consumable product in the world after water i bet you didn't know that we're becoming fast and furiously uh the place to come for concrete news the stuff you can trust the stuff you can grow your own the stuff you can live by and the stuff that you know uh, is full of not only common sense but the truth the truth is important this is talk radio (laughs) This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB Plus,
0: and on the Talk Radio app. The independent republic of Mike Gray.
1: On Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.47, and you know what it's time for.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to
1: the Perrier Awards. Now see that's what I call proper, uh, you know, compliance. Very good. Oh, we, ten we, out of ten. We've
2: got, we've got a bit of a laughing over there. Ten out of ten. A bit of a shaky booty there. Going <laughs> on in there. That's Very good. Very
1: very good indeed. Oh, well,
2: well. So welcome. Welcome, welcome. Is that a Christmas jumper you're wearing? No, no. And I knew you would <laughs> say that. No. It does look it, a bit
1: like a Christmas it, jumper.
2: It's not supposed to be anything remotely near.
1: Nothing festive. No. It's not anything no. to do with Halloween.
2: No. Although you could say maybe I've come as a bit of like a... I hope you've got Dave
1: Levine on the Perriers, by the way, have you? Oh. No. No.
2: No, no. I've never seen
1: anything so hideous.
2: Uh, What? Was he on... Was he he dressed as... Oh, dear. He had
1: had a Halloween sort of mask on.
2: Oh. Well, that that might have to be a a late edition next week or something like that. Maybe add it in,
1: yeah. Definitely. We should definitely see it. Yes. Well,
2: I mean, if, if anyone's got anything behind the scenes quickly that they can rustle up... But anyway, never mind. Welcome to the Perry Awards. This is Thank where you. we look back on the so-called independent so republic called. of Mike Graham and choose our favourite moments. Yes. So, as is tradition, and basically, gang, they're all on visuals. Part one, so get okay. yourself to the uh, video platforms that we uh, all offer. Of them? All of them. Can you yes, Give us any please. suggestions. <laughs> no, I'll keep that to you. Okay. Then anyway, Apple
1: TV, Roku, Rakuten, YouTube, Samsung, Talk Radio, TV. Mm. Yeah. Samsung TV Plus. TV Plus, there we go. i done.
2: So, as is tradition, the first Perry Award goes to you, Mr Graham, for the wrong chocolate name of the week.
1: (laughs) There are no empty shelves anywhere you look. People said there was a shortage of chocolate. I've never seen so many tins of Coronation Street. (laughs) Not Coronation Street, Quality (laughs) Street. Uh, And Coronations. Is it Celebrations? What are they? Whatever they are, anyway. (laughs) Um, Maybe they should put out some Coronation Street chocolate for Christmas. I'm sure you could buy it. Uh, But the point is, is this right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I was thinking there. No. Celebrations and Courtsy Street. Are there yes. co- Is there any Coronation chocolate?
2: Uh, I don't think there is, is there? No, I don't think so. No. No. I don't think so either. I mean, there might be one with like Deirdre's face on it, you know, like at Christmas. Uh, like One of my mates would probably buy an Easter would egg. Would they? Yeah, yeah, like Coronation Street Easter egg. Yeah, it's about it, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Uh, so you were in the hot seat for breakfast this week. I was. Uh, another Perry Award for you, Mike, for the clarification of the week
1: got A daughter, you know, I've been uh, um, her father all her life, as you might know, and uh, I've no, never ever wanted to chew her toenails, even when she was a baby. Mm. No, that's very true. Yeah, I don't think she'd want me to either, to be honest.
2: No, oh gosh, just
1: that was Paul Skull, yeah, that horrendous it was. video. Oi. Yeah, <laughs> he made it onto Plank of the Week from that, did he? Yeah.
2: I'm surprised he didn't win it.
1: Yeah, I can't remember actually.
2: I mean. There's some. W- yeah, no, sorry. We, we should keep it. Oh, no,
1: Jacinda Ardern won it, that's right. Ah, uh, did she? Yeah, she oh. did something even more stupid.
2: Oh, admitted the two Well, you wouldn't want
1: her to in turn, your turnips, would you?
2: <laughs> You'd bite them off. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is true. Uh, so, over to Mark Bokorski, who uh, spoke to us who? live. Bukowski?
1: Bukowski? Mark (laughs) Bukowski? Is that who you mean?
2: Sorry. Mark uh, Mark Bukowski. Yes. uh, Who spoke to us live from uh, the depths of Epping Forest. Mm. Uh, This is the Perry Award for the interruption of the week the strategic position of where people actually put these ads right. that's not my cat
1: by the way <laughs> but um <laughs> and, and what we're seeing it? now is, i don't know it's my
4: friend's cat <laughs> anyway, doing in uh, Effing forest with uh, a friend's cat it's H- gonna H- be a world station. first have oh, so oh, you got your friend's know? cat oh, no, appearing
2: okay. Okay.
0: on the on the show <laughs> not even, right. even my cat my cats a well-behaved so what we're seeing advertising now
2: yes
1: yeah interesting that i thought it was the cat from the uh you know
2: no thursday club oh no no he seems
1: to have disappeared
2: Well, she she might come lurking back round. You never know.
1: Kidnapped by Collins.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So sticking with gang. Oh yes, yes. Let don't let the cat out the bad guys and all the rest of it. Mm. Uh, So sticking with the feline theme. uh, Justin Urquhart Stewart spoke to James Max. His cat uh, wanted a cuddle. This is the Perry Award for the attention seeking moment of the week.
1: From. Bear with me a second. I appear to have a cat crawling up me at the moment. So it's slightly difficult. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I right. did. Ah, ah. Live with a Burmese cat. You have to sit there and the Burmese cat could to join in. He didn't. I think like, he can hear the owin as well. Yeah, he's got the cat on, on his cat. shoulder.
3: Uh, yes. What's the name of the cat?
1: Uh, this is Boop, uh, and Boop. Uh, 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 Betty and Boop, and uh, Boop complains every time that uh, unfortunately that. Uh, uh, the camera is on. Oh, dear. I
3: see. And Boo doesn't want to look at us because we are, of course, in vision. So if anybody. Oh, look, there's Boo. Hi, Boo. <laughs> Boo looks <laughs> really up. cross. Boo. Oh, very cross indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologize. This is no way to do it. I've, I've never been interrupted by a cat before, but that's absolutely <laughs> magnificent. Love it. I'm
2: surprised at that. Okay. Mm.
1: That he's never been interrupted by a cat before. Well, do you know the weirdest thing about what that is? That cat thing? Mm. I actually know that cat. Do you? Yeah.
2: How do you know that cat?
1: Because I know Justin's wife before they got married and uh, she had a cat and that was it. Oh. Pretty sure that was that cat.
2: Wow. Well, maybe should we get get the cat on the phone and then we can ask the cat if... Uh, I don't you know, think that
1: would work worked too well. Well, yeah. But it wouldn't be the biggest mistake you've made.
2: <laughs> Today. Today. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, moving on, thank We uh, spoke to Dave in Rimney Valley, who, in not so many wo- words, told you to uh, suck it up this week. Yes. This is the Perry Award for the burn of the week. Yeah, no emissions from planes, busy I mean, the thing is, the holiday. Well, how am I supposed to get your- to America? Oh, that's your problem. Uh but that's thing nice. is, you know, but seriously, <laughs> Well I'll get one of those electric boats, you, shall why I? Why do you want to go to
1: America? You, this I wanna see my top. I I wanna see my mother, Dave. Yeah,
2: well I'm afraid you'll have to make do with zoom. Because uh, the thing hey, is, Dave, is zoom? That, Are you some uh, kind of
1: mad fascist. No, I'm trying to You don't to be want me to see my it. own mother. Shocking, that, isn't it? There we go. There are Dave. people in Wales who don't want anyone to do anything.
2: Yeah. Well, they didn't want Simon Calder to go. No. So. No. You know. Very true. Uh, so, Mike, it's a concrete fact that you broke the internet this week. Yes. Uh, and it would be rude not to include it in the Perriers. It would. So this is the Perry Award for the statement of the week.
1: Because it's regenerative, you can grow trees. Right. Well, you can, you can grow all sorts of things, can't you? Well, you can't grow concrete. You can Silence sometimes is the only way,
2: isn't it? Yes, and the, that. there was a similar conversation between um, Christo and Kevin when when Kevin came on to speak to a uh, Christo. Oh, really? <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> tumbleweed, tumbleweed, Christo
1: in for uh, Rob Rinder by the way today. Yeah, absolutely. Pointed that out earlier. Thank you.
2: Um, so we broadcast down uh, College Green last week on Budget A. Oh no, this week. No, it was sorry this week. Mm. Yeah.
1: Uh, time's <laughs> flying, I know, but you
2: know uh, It the other day Oh, absolutely, it feels a lifetime ago Well, mm. Anyway, uh, College Green this week on Budget Day This Perry Award uh, goes to Mike Cherry Who was kind enough to meet us at the location However, um, he then proceeded to walk straight in front of the cameras And I'll let the Perrys do the talking This is a Perry Award for su- strutting right in front of the camera
1: For is positive um <laughs> <laughs> Or did
2: you not see it? Uh, no. Well, basically, so behind the scenes, we were all like, "No, no!" Like right. we couldn't say anything. And oh gosh, it was just a bit. He just. And Some I, people. I don't said, know. Mike, you've just walked in front of the camera, Oops. Mm. And, it, and he said, "Oh, uh, oh, well, at least I've got my face on." <laughs> yeah, but Except he hadn't.
1: Yeah. He got his midriff on.
2: Absolutely. Mm. Uh, finally, the last period of the ward goes to you, Mike. Thank uh, you. For the what did you say, period of the week?
1: zero given that hardly anybody else is actually going to do it, it's all very well making an assertion assur- assertion that uh, the net zero is going to happen <laughs> uh, what
2: an ass- assertion A-
1: Assertion. Yeah. A- anyway
2: well. that's it so that's that's all for the perry awards there will be more next week
3: thank you very much the perrier awards on talk radio